Well, you see that loads now, don't you? There's um, unfortunately, uh, it's not rare anymore um for for shamans to to sexually abuse um during during ayahuasca ceremonies. I mean, it is it is rare, but it's not as uncommon as you'd like to think that it is. And uh, I mean, I think a lot of the people who are who are doing that, a lot of the shamans and the kundaras who are doing that, you know, maybe have a questionable questionable training. But I'm sure that some of them, you know, they kind of they are probably quite powerful and and do have adequate training um, and are just, um, yeah, making bad mistakes mm. and are human. I think there's definitely a um, a temptation for people to to put shamans and kundaras uh, on a pedestal that they're these almost guru-like people um and they're not you know they're kind of they're another form of healer you know another the equivalent of a doctor a traditional doctor yeah because um this guy alan de Botton, hmm. he's a swiss philosopher um he talks about that he doesn't trust those kind of gurus or teachers or whoever you know you want to think they are the leaders who does not reveal their clay feats mm. like the the issues they have because as a human um whatever stage of enlightenment you get into there's always these uh, kind of uh, scenarios where you'd be like oh yeah of course you know your your guru breaks your heart which i think is a is a really good perspective because he talks about oh I, I, he's written so many books and like art of travel and all, uh, and, uh, many books about emotions and, you know, emotional, um, robust, robustness. And, uh, still he said, oh, you must have seen, you must see me sometime at an airport with my suitcases and like crying and being frustrated. But that's, he says that, oh, you should have embrace it as part of humanity and uh, yeah we do have a lot of this tendencies of putting people on the pedestal so simon uh this time hopefully i won't got get your second name wrong <laughs> Famous last words, right? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so last time, so we, so Simon is a doctor. He's working with NHS. Uh, so you also work with uh, a lot of uh, psychotherapy situations, which is going on right now. But um, tell me, how would you introduce yourself? Um, so I normally say that I'm a, <clears throat> I'm a psychiatric doctor um, working in the NHS. Uh, and I also do research into psychedelics, uh, namely ayahuasca. So last time we finished our conversation on uh, trauma, especially childhood trauma, you said <coughs> it would be interesting to look more into that scenario. And I think what we just talked about, about even people who are really, we think are enlightened and they are enlightened, still um, there is a lot of abuse which comes from them. And I think... Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think this is another uh, indicator of how much trauma it, there exists in our society. No matter if you become so much more aware and grown up still, there are some aspects of those traumas which work around you. 
For sure. I think uh, one of the first things to say about about childhood trauma um, is that there's far more of it um, than we than we know. And so um, it was a while ago now in the 90s, there was a study uh, called uh, the ACE study, the Adverse uh, Childhood Event Study. And they were looking at uh, the amount of childhood trauma um, that took place in the United States. And previous to this, I think uh, the the estimates were extremely low, you know, maybe you know, 2% of the population um, are abused as children. And as a result of this study, um, they found out that actually the results were far higher. I mean, the, the actual statistics um, escaped my mind now, but it was about it was roughly one third of the US population had experienced childhood trauma, which is a phenomenally high amount. Um, so that's one of the reasons that when um, we were doing our, well, our current study that we're finishing off now, um, we were looking at uh, the degree of childhood trauma that people had experienced. And we, were, we weren't bringing in people specifically who had experienced childhood trauma. We were assessing the amount of childhood trauma um, from a, a sample of people who were coming to the research center in the jungle. Um, and so, yeah, we had uh, varying degrees of childhood trauma. Obviously, some people who had experienced horrendous things and other people who had experienced pretty much no childhood trauma. Um, but everyone was on a scale. I think, you know, most people have experienced some kind of trauma or childhood trauma throughout their life. And this is good that we should get um, this maybe um, phenomena out explained in this way that you know you you were talking about that even though he uh, the shamans or the coranderos get so shamans are people who are working in these societies who generally just to give a brief description or, or coranderos i think is a spanish word for, for yeah so i think so there are many different words for traditional healers depending on um depending on what they're actually doing so um so the curanderos um that's the word that's used for um traditional healers working with plants uh, in the amazon in the amazon rainforest uh, shamans is normally reserved for um people working uh, in the andes um with slightly different plant medicine and then you have um <coughs> vegetalismo who are people who uh, who work more specifically making different um, uh, plant medicines uh, again in in the jungle but there there are many many different ways i think in quite often in, in western society we use this blanket term shaman which isn't technically correct but most people know what you're talking about when you when you say shaman okay so uh, what are the distinction about uh, like what are the plants shamans work with or, or what is the distinction so yeah i mean the, the plants differ depending on the uh, the geographical location um, of the traditional healer ayahuasca specifically i mean many different people use ayahuasca um for our research so uh, we work with with the current arrows okay so just to bring back and get into the perspective you talk about mm. trauma and that might be one of the reasons why it's so shocking sometimes when we hear that oh my goodness these people who are healer themselves are giving trauma mm. by sexually abusing a lot of their uh, patients and this is a topic which many people refrain because it's already something which uh, when i say uh, this i mean uh, healing or 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 um, psychotherapy through psychedelic plants is, mm -hmm. is something already not that acceptable and you know everyone is working so hard to bring these methods and when you hear something like that you'd be like oh maybe this is damaging but i think 
it would be interesting to understand this phenomenon in broader context of yeah. what you said nearly every person you might have um experienced trauma so it does make sense that mm-hmm. even though you know you are working as someone who is you know essentially be more aware of uh the situation in themselves but still somehow that trauma st- is so strong mm. that still represent s- in some way uh, so it's good to get the negative aspects out of, at first you know put mm. before we get into the conversation before we talk more about the healing aspects i think even though it's a very difficult conversation to have um but it's good that you know we talked about it before on yeah for sure i think that the any kind of sexual abuse that's happening in uh, in ayahuasca circles or i mean any any kind of sexual abuse that's happening anywhere obviously is <clears throat> is far too much but there's but there's something particularly particularly wrong um about that kind of abuse happening in ayahuasca circles for a variety of reasons you know it's not exclusively but it's normally fairly young uh, females um that are targeted um and horrendously quite often these are people who have come to the uh, ayahuasca ceremonies in order to heal trauma sometimes of a sexual nature yeah i mean and that's that's before you begin to even think about the vulnerable state that you're in when you're in the uh the psychedelic um experience mm-hmm. uh and um, so you can you can certainly do a lot of damage i think um some of the one of the reasons why why this is an issue at the moment is the lack of regulation um surrounding the use of ayahuasca um so unlike in in uh you know with with western style uh doctors where you have to have um you know you have to have a degree and then you have to you know finish med school and then you have to have trained for however many years and so then you have this stamp that proves that that, that you are you are a medical doctor you don't have that in the jungle you know there's pretty much no regulation and so if you go to peru and you go to Iquitos, which is uh, one of the main places there that uh ayahuasca tourism is is present when you go off the plane you know every other person is saying that they are that they're hosting ceremonies that they they work as a shaman and so how do you how do you know now there is no regulation um and so actually there's a um uh, a group called uh Shakruna, and which is led by a uh a, a really great ayahuasca researcher called uh Bia Labache. Um and she's written some some guidelines together with um, some other members of um of Shakruna. Um uh and they outline steps that you can take if you're if you're new or if you're more experienced um to to the ayahuasca world in order to try um and avoid getting into situations um where you might be particularly vulnerable. this question has come a lot um which is that okay so if you or anyone wants to go and uh, you know go through the ceremony what is the way that they can find someone who is you know trustworthy and it's hard job as you're saying but always the answer i hear and please expand on that and if there is a better way because i didn't know about this guideline that um they say that oh yeah you there is actually it's a hard thing to know you should just ask the people who were in the ceremony or anyone who has gone through the ceremonies ask their testimony 
ask them and that's how you find out about if the person was good or what you know effects they got out of it and how was it there isn't any other way of finding out but if 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 you have something more to explain or or, or to guide maybe uh, those people who are because i i'm i'm sh- there is a lot of people who at this point you know are trying to go there but they just don't know you know who to contact how to contact and what are the procedures yeah i mean it, it's that's that's a tricky one so i, I get asked this quite a lot um obviously because because i, because I work as a, a psychiatric doctor and, and do research into mainly ayahuasca um and so i can't i can't recommend that, that anyone goes to to a particular place um but at the same time, I think that if you if you were searching uh, for a retreat center to go to, um, I definitely wouldn't just go to a ketos and after meeting you know the first piece of person on the street go with them. Um, <clears throat> most of these uh, retreat centers have websites, and you can uh, you can look at kind of testimonies from there. Speak to other people who have. Um, yeah, who have who have drunk ayahuasca in different circles, and, and most of these places, most of the big ones, they begin to uh, get a get a reputation, so you know what they're about. But I think going to somewhere reputable is, yeah, I mean, it's it's essential. It's really essential. Um, but yeah, I think this is probably quite a good time as well to kind of talk about some of the some of the risks that can come with ayahuasca um, come with ayahuasca too, because I think. There's a bit of a danger <clears throat> with ayahuasca that you can you can begin to think, ah, it's this this panacea that treats everything, and Western medicine is you know is, is rubbish, and and it's and it's all about traditional, and it's all about plant medicines, and and you know I think there are a lot of shortfalls um, with Western medicine, but there are also a lot of great things about it too, especially uh, you know um, I think that's especially the case with psychiatry, but when it comes to using psychedelics in a uh, in a, a medicinal setting you have to be very careful um with uh, the risk of psychosis and so this means if you suffer from any conditions um that might lead to psychosis you need to be you need to be very careful and the classic ones are kind of you know schizophrenia and, and personality disorders as well like borderline personality disorder so emotionally unstable personality disorder is uh, is the most common now the tricky part comes um if you uh if you don't know that you're predisposed to one of these conditions so we would say that you're predisposed to a psychotic disorder um, if somebody in your in your family for example um, ha- had a psychotic disorder but if you were uh, adopted you might not know <clears throat> that actually your your parents uh, suffer from psychosis and it would be a, a really unfortunate uh, time to find out uh, when you were when you were in a retreat okay so uh <coughs> This this brings a very interesting perspective. So it's two two conversation I wanted to have, and it's good that you're here. Um, <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I was thinking about that. On, I, Francois Butsard, I, I butchered the name completely. <laughs> she's she's very um, well renowned. A psychotherapist who use psychedelics and work with many different uh, plants and uh, the question asked to her was that okay so who should 
not maybe take psychedelics and who you know should take psychedelics and the, yes the answer was you know okay yeah well um you know these these uh, very basic uh scenarios of predispositions and schizophrenia and multiple personality disorders and all all these things and which is of course great but then for some reason there is um there is another there's another maybe more nuanced way of uh, uh some sometimes i've heard where there's further categories even in these situations where it might depend on the scenario where the person actually is coming from that sometimes these things can help if they are aware of this situation and the person who is leading that ceremony is maybe also aware of it and actually is going into whatever uh, plan they are taking maybe a disassociated maybe a ketamine or something else maybe so i i understand you're talking about particularly ayahuasca and that was a very generic question about just overall uh, psychedelics which can give you visions and you know take you to the journey uh but but the question which i want to discuss with you is that if you say further what type of a person and you know there are people who are willing to take an experience and come out the other way not being them you know just essentially and they are comfortable with being and this is a very generic personality so i'm i'm basing it in as much as on our current understanding of empirical psychological psychiatric studies and they so so they would say okay yeah well um they are comfortable with abstractions and not being definitive answers and that doesn't drive them mad and they can hold these kind of abstraction unsolved answer subjectively and also about the world for a longer time and some people are like really you know jittery and they want to get an answer and they would get an answer even though they even though they realize that it might not be but they would want to keep that i think with that question don't you think like this goes deeper to the actual fundamental type of human beings there are i think there is a question now when the psychedelics are getting more popular we might also need to ask this question yeah for sure i mean i feel that i should probably put a uh, a disclaimer on everything that i'm saying saying this is from a western scientific kind of medical point of view or from from at least my interpretation of that and um so when i'm when i'm saying oh yeah you should be avoiding uh, psychedelics if you have schizophrenia and bipolar disorder that's that's what we do in 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 our research um I've heard of accounts in the jungle um, where people with what I would think of as, as psychosis um, have gone to Kurunderos and they've drunk ayahuasca. And what I've been told is that they've had, you know, remarkable, um, remarkable transformations. But I think a lot of that comes down definitely to the person, um, for sure. Um, and, you know, I mean, what even is schizophrenia? It's an umbrella term that encompasses, uh, you know, a bunch of symptoms that fit criteria for diagnosis and so yeah definitely the person is of is of the kind of the, the paramount importance but also your perception of what it is that's going on there and so when when we say psychosis one of the 
the most kind of reductionist biological uh, way of thinking about that is uh, uh, you know the disruption and the level of chemicals in your brain for example dopamine which leads to alterations uh, in, in perception but that's that's not how the shamans in the current eras view it at all you know i don't want to to, to speak for them but their their way of thinking um, from what i understand would be far 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 more uh, along the lines of uh, interaction with um, some some negative energy uh, that needs to be kind of released or uh, or dealt with in a very different way to the way that we deal with psychosis which would be to block certain chemicals and so I think when you're, if you're thinking it from a thinking about it from a different paradigm, then suddenly your your ideas about treatment drastically changes. And so, from my point of view, in in the studies that we do, you know, we in uh, you know, you know, in in all of the studies looking at psilocybin, whether it be at King's College London, the ones that the ones that I work on, or Imperial, or the Johns Hopkins, or wherever, there's strict criteria where you screen out anyone with psychosis and bipolar disorder and personality disorder. In the jungle, I think it's well, it it is it's it's up to you to speak to the shaman about it and uh, to decide between you whether or not they think they can you know, they can help you and whether or not you think that's good for you. So it's a completely different ball game and one that, you know, maybe in years to come we'll see psychedelics being used uh, to help some conditions that right now we, we, we're not really sure about. But at the same time, I'd be very cautious. Um, you know, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go there uh, treating potentially conditions that can lead to psychosis with psychedelics when we haven't even fully established whether or not psychedelics can help with your basic conditions like depression and anxiety we have evidence that suggests that but we don't know that you know so i think get the basics in place first and then you can begin to get more adventurous with everything 100 percent. skepticism is the and being careful in this scenario is a accurate response and we should definitely not encourage anyone with this condition known and and we should be definitely careful about it you hit the nail actually that's perfect um, but also i mean as these psychedelics uh, go into wider public uh well i, I would say well the accessibility would Im improve hopefully with FDA FDA uh, FDA uh, approving different various treatments. It would be a conversation to have that just even people don't have condition, but still if people who, I mean, again, same thing. I mean, we're not saying that it's for everyone. No one is saying that we everyone should go and do it. They're brilliant and or everyone who's ill should be treated by that again. But if the curiosity would grow up as it is growing up i think it's still a, a conversation to have that even if you don't have conditions uh but whatever is your own personality uh type in a way of whatever experiences you have and what kind of people uh would let's say you don't have any disease and we're talking about just taking psychedelics for the sake of exploration of your own consciousness and for some reason, when someone asks, oh, who should and who should not take psychedelics, it's deeply personal. It is, there is no, like, recommendations, but um, it's the same way that, okay, so psychedelics are illegal, but you can't 
you know, recommend everyone to do it, but at least you can put uh, safety methods out there so that people, well, people would take it anyway or, or won't take it, whatever their decision is, at least they are safe. And and I think when it gets, when the, when the accessibility and the curiosity level gets higher and the FDA actually approves it, I think when people are curious and they are about to go and take it, and I'm talking about no one with the diseases or anything, but just generally exploring consciousness, let's say going for five gram psilocybin mushroom heroic dose, it's, it's, that's what you they want to uh, explore. Um, if there's a conversation around who should take it or who should not might inform that, okay, look, I am not comfortable with these, these kind of scenarios. And, you know, fundamentally, I have a view of this world like that. How much preparation I first need in my own sober, without any kind of planned life to actually go and have this experience and not get uh, shattered by it so much that it then takes uh, a fully trained, experienced person to then put you back and guide you. Because the scenario we're talking about is not going to be the one where, you know, the psychedelics are not accessible and you have to get to, you know, someone like you who understands it. And then, yes, you would screen them out. But this conversation, somehow, uh, this question makes me feel that okay we are moving towards that hopefully you know if you all you guys do your job right and you do screen <laughs> no pressure yeah, yeah 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 you do screen everyone right now and so hopefully people are free to choose then this question would not be based on oh you have schizophrenia you have because now well people are taking it so now the question needs to be very different than the one we have i don't know what do you what do you yeah, I think it would be, you know, probably fairly similar to psychotherapy without psychedelics, where you know, many people who go to psychotherapy are trying to, um, are trying to, you know, I don't want to use the word treat. Like, I think in the psychiatry is quite, you know, we have to be careful with using definitely words like cure and even and even words like like treat. Um, but uh, you know, they're trying to like, have some some insights and to. Um, yeah, to to help themselves in relation to particular conditions, but then again, psychotherapy is a great thing to do to understand understand yourself better, even if you don't have anything in particular that you're trying to that you're trying to figure out as such. Um, plus, you know, I think that everyone always has something they can work on, and if you and if you don't think you have anything that you need to work on then you probably should go to psychotherapy because that's probably what you need to work on um and i think with psychedelics we'll probably begin to see a similar kind of a similar kind of pattern <clears throat> when it comes i think the word that you used was how do you do enough preparation so you don't shatter yourself and this is i mean that's that, that's a really interesting one because um on the in the trials at uh, at King's, you know, sometimes sometimes we get uh, get asked during the screening, oh, but what happens if we if we have a bad time? What's the chances of of having a bad trip? And I always kind of think, well, like, what 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 is a bad trip? You know, like what what makes it bad? Is it is it if you have a good time? If I have a bad time, sorry, or you or you shatter yourself? Because 
I think that you know you, you can have a good time and it can be transformative um, but also you can have a very challenging time and those can be some of the most transformative and it might be a very very difficult and challenging six hours but then you can come out the other side with uh, with knowledge and acceptance and <clears throat> a real growth from the experience that's that's priceless um I think avoiding any kind of trying to avoid any really negative consequences like um developing psychosis or potential re-traumatization but that in itself is controversial um would definitely be definitely be key but for the majority of the clinical studies that we have where we're using uh psychedelics as a potential medicine what we normally do is uh three sessions of preparatory psychotherapy and three sessions of integration which is which is good more is always better um but it depends on you know realistic time and, and finances of course yeah no i agree with you there is definitely well there is a there is one aspect of uh, uh where people would you know question about um and i'm talking about um bad trips specifically when you say you know what is the bad trip and um, i'm talking about people who are understanding and uh, have worked with these medicines for a long time and yeah that you would hear them say that well you know bad trip might be the thing which you needed at that point with because of the resist level of resistance you had or the same level of uh, uh, patterns which were keeping you there and that's why the resistance bringing the bad trip rather than the bad trip itself is a problem and if you have someone with you who can completely integrate that kind of an experience and reframe that it would help you a lot although i i agree with you that i mean if there isn't anyone like that and then yes you do there are some experiences or maybe i mean i don't know what do you think i mean there are are there at some some experiences at some places where you do through these kind of trips which you take which could become uh more uh it's a tricky word i don't want to use something negative because i want to keep it open but yeah there is a tendency at some point that some trip which you would take would make you um more disconnected maybe yeah i think um there's definitely people have fears around when you say the word disconnected the thing again that comes to mind is uh, the kind of the loss of contact with reality which some people would uh, say could be one way to talk about psychosis um having uh, abnormalities in in the way that you perceive the world <clears throat> so i think that's something that we need to 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 really kind of to screen to screen against massively i think um as well we can't underestimate the importance of integration um because i certainly know you know i've heard of uh, of people and people have come to me and spoken to me about um experiencing anxiety um following uh the use of uh, of psychedelic substances and i think that integration which is the uh, the process of sitting down with a psychotherapist after the uh, the psychedelic session and talking about what happened and how it made you feel and what it meant for you and what you can learn about it is is essential and i think there is that that danger especially with recreational use that you 
that you you know you take something at a music festival <clears throat> you lose all your friends it starts raining you bump into your ex-girlfriends and you have the, this horrendous time and you just never speak to anyone about it anything that came up and i think that that definitely can result in result in anxiety and so i think that having the appropriate support uh, before and after um as well as during obviously with, with the, the set and setting which is the the mindset and where you do it is, is of vital importance so that you don't well you can minimize the chances as much as possible of uh, having these these and then more negative outcomes brilliant so i want to come to the second part of what conversation i wanted to have um eric weinstein i think he's a mathematician um interesting guy he he talks about that sometimes i think a lot of the conversation we have in public domain um when we hear you know a, a statement there are generally two ways of interpreting them uh but uh, and and then the and one of them is that uh, the statement is that um whale is a fish so you know so you say oh the, the guy the person is like not really aware that the whale is is a mammal if i'm correct is whale a mammal if i'm correct i'm using this right right example yeah okay so. <laughs> well let's just let's just let's just say whatever uh whatever is a mammal <laughs> you're talking about that. i think whale is a mammal definitely uh so they say they say oh yeah whale, whale is a fish and they would be like oh well um you know you're not really uh, I, uh, let, let me correct you uh it it's a it's a mammal but we don't know if the person is talking about from a point of view of a very deep knowledge of uh, the evolutionary aspect of a mammal which have now turned into a fish but not from a very uh, arbitrary perspective of something which is in a water and is a fish so do you, you see like these are these parallels so you can dismiss people on on just being the 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 are uh, the surface statement so i um was listening to hamilton morris and uh, and you are right you mentioned it that oh this all observation is from a western philosophy and you did mention that oh you know now we might think because maybe most of the listeners or maybe someone who's listening for the first time maybe is already aware that um that our imperialistic models are very much denying anything which is out of civilization so we call them uncivilized and dismiss it it's very self-centered approach but then we can go on the other side and be like oh yes everything which is western medicine has done is like ah oh, bullshit and then everything has to be done you know in the plants and 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 in the trees so so this is a very interesting perspective because no matter what you are talking about it's a very hard one to discern because if you are saying about hey hey be careful there is some value in this so you the person would be like oh, imperialistic uh, understanding of the world and let's just dismiss it and if you are be like all the plants ones you might be thinking maybe also from the careful perspective which you just brought up that hey hey let let's make it more balanced approach and understand where some some things are valuable where are not and and he mentioned hamilton morris about it's brilliant that you know we have a lot to learn from native culture uh, 
and respecting that. And once you have truly accepted it, and I think it's a very long journey of self-reflection and understanding where our perspectives come from, how our culture and ourself and our egos have constantly told us the story of self-superiority. But uh, once, hopefully, maybe, you know, we are all on this journey all the time, but once you are taking it and you have understood this perspective, yes, there is so much more to learn from native places. But he says something interesting, and I that's what I wanted to mention it, that, um, but still, no culture has got it 100% right. So you shouldn't just, you know, uh, make it as if that's exactly how we should do it. We're still discovering you know, we are still finding it out. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think um, the kind of uh, a, a good example of this is uh, so the last time that, uh, that I was in the jungle, um, we were we were working with the uh, the curandero, and um, he was using plant medicines to treat all kinds of things, uh, loads of stuff, and uh, and one of my friends got this uh, got this infection. And he he treated it a little bit, you know, with with some plant medicine, but but it wasn't the infection was, was quite severe, and so he was just like, no, no, you 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 need antibiotics for this, you know, you go to town and you get antibiotics, and we were all quite taken aback because we we kind of thought, well, this is this is a you know this is a plant medicine research center, you know, this is what you can't just tell us to go and get antibiotics, like what are you what are you talking about? And he was like, oh no, yeah, we we use antibiotics for this. That's the most effective effective way of doing it. And I think that was that was it was surprising, but I it kind of made me think. Fair enough, you know, you're kind of just like we look at evidence in kind of traditional Western medicine, and we can what's the most effective, uh, right? This is the most effective, therefore we use this. You know, it's, it was it was quite refreshing for me that that this this curandero had uh, this array of plant medicines, and for this particular condition, he used antibiotics because that's the most effective thing. And to a certain degree, I think perhaps we're beginning to do that in the west as well where we have we have all of our treatments and our therapies and and we don't you know we haven't had any new developments real new developments in psychiatry you know for ages and so what are we doing oh we're beginning to look at magic mushrooms you know or the traditional use of psychedelic compounds like dmt in a you know in a, in a traditional framework in the form of ayahuasca um so yeah i think that i for me personally i i find it quite uh refreshing and you know appropriate that we have this this balance between between the two worlds yeah it's like making the the older whatever mistakes we made maybe not make it again and, and grow up a little bit which just gives me a lot of uh genuine happiness around around certain areas where um well the the, the psychedelics uh, were i also were th th thought of it as at some point when you are learning about it it's like magical which they are uh, but as as a as a complete solution because again the the role of a medicine in my head was still a pill which works in a way that it fixes you i mean the pill's job is not to fix you like overall it's a tool and that's what i i like that you know how he was that we use different kind of tools to make a human you know either heal or make it better not in a way that it actually 
becomes a magic stick or, 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 or a suit which you wear and now you're invisible, but it actually give, allows you that space or wisdom or it allows you enough resources for you to actually work on your own self. I mean, ultimately, I mean, we know that that's what you talked about, integration. The reason why integration seems like so important is because you have to do the work after you have taken the trip. The tools are very important. And once we have these different array of tools, it gives us more option to finally, you know, solve tricky, wicked problems. But essentially, that's the kind of, I think, you know, mistake maybe we did with allopathic. We we made them, and that's why they were so authoritative, that they were so such an effective tool, but we made it maybe as if that's, it it's the superman pill or superwoman pill yeah for sure i think we touched on this uh, briefly last time about uh, giving giving the control back to the patient again where in in western medicine when you use you know tablets and pills and surgeries a key example you know you're not even conscious you just uh, you just sit there and you and you take it you know we call it a, an external locus of control you know you you don't have any control over over what's happening to you and you know that can be for some people you know you might find it um might feel safe to put your yourself into someone else's hands but but there's definitely something to be said about taking control over your healing as well which is which is very much the approach uh, in the jungle with the curandero is when using ayahuasca you don't even when you drink ayahuasca in the ceremony you you drink it and you try your very best to stay sitting up for you know for the six hours of the ceremony it's, it's not something where you where you lie down and just let it let it happen to you you know you, you're trying to, to sit up and to to work with it and, and not to let it to, to kind of overcome you interesting this more look like uh, uh i mean you, you're talking about control and maybe that's why some of the therapies are actually now done by bdsm you know <laughs> what i'm talking about <laughs> you know BD- like, as in like i think it's whips burkine yeah i think so i think so yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> because humans are essentially like all the time in a different aspects well sex is a very conscious altering experience i mean it's one of the cr- very strong ones it's it's the oldest one which has all the life form yeah. attached to it so it's it's funny that how these um kind of themes around therapy play conscious alternates just runs all around it and i think that is what what a complete human being can be you know who is not bogged down by traumas who's not um relying completely on these external sources all the mm-hmm. time but actually working uh with these different tools and working with your own aspect of psyche and whatever that you know this is this is more like a statement about human potential that we sometimes don't even know or feel what it would be uh to be a fully healed or complete human at some points i mean the very s- simple example is that when you are you know um in a very anxious or depressed state for years and then suddenly you know you go to 
a retreat or you go to festival, you go to friend, whatever example you want to take. And then suddenly you feel like, oh, I feel like a bit fulfilled. Like, my goodness, like everything feels a bit different. Wait a second. I don't have these paranoid thought all the time, which I was having forever. Wait a second. All the colors seems more brighter. Okay. I feel more. Pr and then suddenly even that voice runs away and then you are just in the present, just living and you don't even know what is going on. And whatever you are reading or doing, it's working well. It's, it's, it's a very small example, but I'm sure that these kind of same experiences exist in our untapped potential for being a whole human. Um, so, so now we are, uh, we are talking about potentiality and trauma. And this is where one of the, one of, one of my friends came here and I was talking about trauma and he was saying, wait, what you academics or you researchers or you people who talk about tra trauma? What do you mean by that? Like, what do you mean by trauma? And it, it was like, oh, I, I tried to explain him. And he was like, wait, what, what do you, isn't that what, what, like, isn't everyone has trauma? Then what are you talking about? So I think it would be really interesting to maybe talk specifically about trauma because we talked a lot about how to, you know, cure it and how to heal it, what's going on. We do understand that there is a problem there, but I think that um, there is something to talk about with the, the, the situation in itself, like the, the meaning of it and what it, what what is the um, scenarios or situations where childhood trauma comes into play what it is if someone asks you a question how how do you you know answer that yeah i mean it's a good question what what is trauma i mean i think the first thing to say is that uh, you know trauma can be many different things to many different people and um you know it's not really up to you whether or not you get traumatized by a certain situation um Trauma comes in in many different forms. Um, so you can have, you know, physical, emotional, sexual, uh, all of these, all of these kinds of trauma as well. Um, what we do know, like we said before, is that um, is that you know trauma, serious trauma, um, is far more common uh, than we than we think uh, than we previously thought it was. And I think that, that most people would realise, with uh, roughly a third of the population in the US actually having some some form of relatively serious trauma. Um, that being said, <clears throat> it's also on a on a sliding scale. You know, there's there's different amounts of trauma. And I think that that most people in a yeah in in society have undergone uh, some degree of trauma even if it's only a, a very small amount okay so and and also another question he asked was that and that this was interesting for me is it like well if everyone has you know who uh, who does not have trauma isn't life full of trauma what are you talking about why you want to heal it so it was interesting to me that the whole part of his perception and the reality is that the that overwhelming um, presence of trauma is so prevalent that there is no living without it. So what is the problem? As, as if you are just being a crybaby and, you know, you're just talking about something which is just the part the most fundamental part of existence 
Yeah, I mean, I think one of the key things is to uh, is acceptance um, of of uh, traumatic experiences that have happened to you, uh, rather um, than than fighting against them. And you know, and I think that you know that your your friend is quite right. You know, trauma is is part of life. Negative experiences, you know, kind of sadness and, and upset, they're important parts of the human spectrum of emotion. And and you know, trauma happens to you know to to the vast majority of people in in one way or another. I think that uh, things like psychotherapy um, and potentially uh, ayahuasca and psychedelic psychotherapy can allow you to um, to view trauma and review the things that happen to you in in a different way, um, and yeah, to allow you to work towards uh, towards acceptance or viewing it in a way that's less damaging to you. So a a good example of this <coughs> would be. Um, when you break down maladaptive uh, coping mechanisms in relation to trauma. So say that you have somebody who was uh, sexually abused um, by a middle-aged man uh, when they were a child. Um, They may develop a coping mechanism based around that abuse. Uh, And that could be to try and avoid all middle-aged men and and this could work really well you know when you're when you're five you know if you avoid middle-aged men you know you're going to avoid the one who's been abusing you um, and therefore you know you'll you'll avoid uh, that repeated trauma However, when you get a bit older and you need to catch the bus to go to college or to go to work or whatever, um, and if you're still trying to avoid all middle-aged men, um, then that's going to be really disruptive to your life, like incredibly disruptive. And so hopefully through something like ayahuasca or psychotherapy or psychedelic assisted psychotherapy, you could rethink the way that you thought about that trauma and you could realize that that middle-aged man did something you know unforgivable but it wasn't your fault that was not your fault and you can realize and come to the understanding that you know most middle-aged men you know on the whole are you know they're okay and then you can you know get rid of that maladaptive coping mechanism you can think about your trauma in a more objective way and it can allow you to to get on with to 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 move on with with your life. Um, a good way to think about the way that psychedelics uh, act on the brain is that it uh, makes you biologically ready for psychological change. It's a catalyst in that in the psychotherapy, and it does that through making your brain basically more malleable, more like putty, more easier to learn new things and to get out of old ways of thinking. And it does that by allowing new neuronal connections to be made in the brain um, more easily than it would be if you weren't uh, on that psychedelic. This is, this is, I think this is where, it's brilliant that you gave this example. And I think that is why we should work with the trauma. It's, it's, it's a, it's a way or a message or a signal which um, tells us that there is a there is a literally disconnection within your neurological circuits or whatever you know or or if you want to take it a subjective experience you are not fully uh, being in touch with your own self or or instincts and that is actually not only limiting you as you're saying you know the person cannot go about his life and truly experience the world uh, the person lives in but also it's actually painful in a way which is not necessary Uh, so 
when if 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 there's a if there's a whatever the issue would be whatever the word you want to call it and we call it trauma it's because um this is what the person needs to work on and then it's just different for everyone and it's on different levels and once you work towards the trauma it actually gives you some challenges which you work towards and that it actually builds up your skills to deal with other life skills uh, uh, sorry other life situations and uh, allows you to fully connect with yourself when i say self or your body i mean the world itself it allows you to connect to your environment is this something would you, would you think it, it it's a fair description yeah there's um a really interesting book uh called the body keeps the score um that talks quite a lot about this um it's by a a, a psychiatrist from oh, i can't remember where he's from uh, see that i think it was german but grew up in move to holland or something anyway he he talks about how um how trauma is is held in the body and the importance of, uh, of reconnecting to the body um in order to to help with those traumatic experiences and that's uh yeah it's i, I think it shows the way that uh, psychiatry is moving at the moment where we're beginning to move towards uh, treatments such as uh, EMDR which is using uh, uh, eye movements um, uh, to uh, to help to reprogram the brain and then he talks about the importance of um, things such as uh, yoga and uh, neurofeedback um, as well as other physical activities so I think that my area of interest is, is definitely the kind of the psychedelics and the, the psychedelic psychotherapy, but there are a variety of, of ways out there as well um, to treat trauma, um, probably very much depending on, on the person and, uh, and what, what appeals to you. And this is a, this goes into the same with Gabor Mate, and I think we should mention him because he's working a lot in childhood trauma and a lot of addiction field, and he talks about these uh, um two choices which you get especially when you're a child and i heard this in one of his talks where he mentions that when you were a kid uh, and especially a human child well to be more accurate a homo sapien child um one of the biggest thing is that um we have an advantage by having bigger brains that we rely strongly on our parents to take care of us for another like two to three years and actually more um and and every other 25 years yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you're lucky <laughs> if you're lucky <laughs> i've seen 30 year olds like <laughs> yeah <laughs> but but any other animal you see they just like pop out and they can just run yeah, yeah. If, if you have seen any bbc earth document oh bbc documentary uh but so so what happens is that well if you're a child you are evolutionary biologically dependent for your life on your parents so the association with your parents is actually not just a arbitrary thing it's a survival requirement for you so you, as a kid you do understand slowly even if you are very young that the parents even if you're three four year old are are the people who keeps you alive now and that is where the problem comes where there's a choice when you grow up there's a choice between association for survival or your true self-expression 
and your genuine self-expression of who you are and that is where your personality your 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 neural circuits and your uh, understanding of the worlds grow and you can talk from an emotional poetic point of view or you can talk in this scenario from a neurological point of view i'll i'll mention both and uh, what we do always nearly always we sacrifice our self-expression because we rely on our parents or our close ones on association for survival and that's one reason for the trauma now we we would think oh well this is a very arbitrary issue but not really because it depends what kind of generational trauma is coming within the generation this is not a statement of saying oh the someone's parents are wrong because we are not talking about one set of parents we are talking about generation of parents after parents after parents means us means everyone means that's where it would differentiate that what kind of traumatic experience your parents been through and they're going to transfer that unfortunately genetically epigenetically or or through these uh, acts of uh, exp- like uncontrollable expression and i think that's where um the the issue of childhood trauma becomes very dire and 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 serious um yeah essentially that you brought up the um, the epigenetics there <clears throat> this is an area that's uh, is beginning to gain quite a lot of attention and in um, in our current study we were looking at epigenetic changes um, and uh, we were doing that through collecting samples of saliva uh, now epigenetics is is the way that genetic material um, is expressed and um, so you have your uh, your genetic code um, which is is like the hardware and then you have um, uh, different proteins such which is uh, proteins called histones and um, other things can happen to the DNA like a methyl group gets added on um, and that's almost like the software changes how certain genes are expressed. Now studies are beginning to suggest that um, that our experiences um, change the way in which our DNA uh, is expressed so for example if you undergo a massive trauma um, there was a study that was done looking at survivors from the holocaust then you have different expression of certain genes for example uh, in response to stress now what they what these studies are beginning to suggest is that even though you have undergone a stressful experience and your children haven't so for the survivors of the holocaust they survived the holocaust and their children didn't go into the holocaust their children were expressing the same stress response now there are different explanations that could uh, you know uh, that could help to explain why that happened so for example um if your parent had been in the holocaust they would probably you know or maybe they would tell you some some stories or you'd be aware of that and so you'd be aware of that stress but it appears to be more than that it appears to be that the way that we live our lives right now will actually be reflected in our children and potentially our grandchildren's dna and so when you think of that from a traumatic point of view um the importance of of really coming to accept your trauma um it can't be it can't be overestimated you know it's 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 a really it's a really key key issue um you know people such as uh, Gabriel Mate and uh, and to a certain degree Bessel van der Goop who who wrote the body keeps the score um 
you know, Gabor especially really emphasizes the point that he believes that the majority of mental health comes from, uh, mental health problems come from some degree of trauma, like you were talking about before. Yeah, and, and just to, I think I remember there are two more studies done with rats uh, about the epigenetics. I think it was one about lemon, the smell of lemon, that wherever um, uh, the... I think they, they there was some sort of unpleasant experience with the lemon and then the kids just avoided lemon without even knowing that this happened. And then there was another story of, I think, uh, on the other side, and that's what I want to talk to you about. That's where uh, the, one of the key interest lies for me is that they did a training for rats where they uh, made them solve uh, maze puzzles and then the kids were just better in solving maze puzzles without even you know and like i think the generation not generation removed like one one um uh yeah one generation removed yeah so the 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 importance is is that we can miss out that what what tragedy a trauma would bring not to one person but to whole society and I think it's one of the biggest reason is that we are so hyper individualized that we do really believe in our DNA that a trauma of this person is the trauma of this person and this person only, but not of a society or a species itself. We don't think really that. I mean, we might know intellectually still, but we don't think that these kind of traumas and issues which or or symptoms of depression which are you know and i understand trauma and depression might be different in 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 in, uh, in these kind of scenarios but these symptoms are actually coming from what kind of overall so, so social uh, civilization issues or or situations we are in and these are uh, symptoms of that in individual but if we just talk about trauma and make it more simple a trauma of an individual person allows them to oh, sorry well keeps them away to connect to other people but also it robs them of the potential we all know our consciousness our the life form itself have and on epigenetics if we know that the trauma uh, can be passed on by generation because this one study done by robert sapolsky he's an endocrinologist a very well respected um biologist also endocrinologist but he did this um a lot of studies on baboons and and he talks about that you know someone 100 years ago in your um heritage can have have experienced famine and that 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 could affect you depending on wherever you are and how you know this thing affects you i think if now we do have a chance to think about this if we are not fighting for our survival and we're not getting re-traumatized and we do have our chance to understand our trauma and not pass it on to our kids but to do it the other way around if we can connect better with the nature itself and these kind of hyper individualistic boundaries and pass on uh, a potential of being uh, a better uh, human. 
I mean, what, 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 like, what are we talking about here? Yeah, I think um, the nature connectedness is a, is obviously is a really key a really key issue at the moment. And there's been um, a few studies that have come out recently. Um, one of them, actually, one of them by by Dave Luke, um, looking at uh, psychedelics and uh, connectedness to nature, and finding that there's um, there's a correlation between the two, which is which is unsurprising. Um, I think just going back to the epigenetics as well, <clears throat> it's it's probably worth saying that the you know that the sample numbers uh, used specifically in in the the study of Holocaust survivors is very small. So again, this is this isn't um, you know that this is this is an idea um, you know it's a it's a theory um, that is supported by evidence rather than than being what we know. But um, it it definitely does hold um, a huge amount of weight um, for sure. For me, when I think about it, it feels like quite a lot of responsibility thinking that, you know, my diet could potentially affect my grandchildren. It's, uh, yeah, it's a, definitely a way to get kind of wrecked with guilt for the rest of your life. Well, I mean, yeah, <laughs> definitely <laughs> not, 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 not guilt, more guilt. I mean, it is, it's, it's, uh, well, that's what I've heard. And I think, with higher level of self-awareness consciousness more ability to be in the flow state and be more creative i think does that's the price the price is that if you are paying attention and that's what everyone you know talks about that if you pay more attention to each and every moment passing by you do understand that how much of the story you tell yourself and the illusions which keep certain uh, uh, the illusions which keep some of our um, uh, control over the environment we think how much control we have you know it goes away, it dissolves. So the moment it dissolves, and if you still keep the attention on, and that is a one um, feature of psychedelic trip is the initial resistance because uh, the, uh, the, the problem is that we think we have control. And when it is revealed to you that what kind of control you think you have over the environment is a version of story you tell yourself, to keep away from the um, this this rawness of the experience, and yes, I think when we keep our attention to that point, it does. You know, you 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 would realize your mind tells you to tell you another story, or maybe oh no no no, let's just you know maybe distract myself to to an experience of binge watching or drugs or something. But still, if if you are saying, you know, we we are trying to improve ourselves. So this is the price that your attention is finally telling you all the time that how much of a responsibility and how much careful, unfortunately or fortunately, we have to be if we are living such a life that uh, your acts uh, have such wide consequences. And maybe that's where meaning also... Pe- pops in you know that's why meaning is a we have an epidemic of meaning right now yeah i think uh this is where some people would have um, some issues with the way that we treat mental health problems currently for example with antidepressants where if you're feeling sad or you're feeling lonely or empty or anxious <clears throat> instead of actually 
going <laughs> sitting down and thinking why am I feeling like this and going going into your into yourself and trying to figure that out you go to the GP and you you get, get some tablets that allow you to jump back on the uh, you know on the into the rat race and, and into the hamster wheel and to you know and to carry on and and um and, and quite potentially kind of miss what's actually going on uh, inside you know you're you're really putting a, a disconnect between you and your feelings and allowing yourself to uh, to continue and that's that's really the opposite of what we're looking to do with with psychedelics and psychedelics like therapy and ayahuasca you're looking to connect to that to figure out what that is and then make appropriate changes uh, you know or, or even accept those feelings um and it'd be interesting to see if there's um, if that's uh, represented in, in epigenetic changes as well. If we're actually dealing with uh, the issues that are going on, rather than rather than potentially just running away and and, and uh, burying them deep inside. I mean, this is I, and this is an experience which is not something uh, so uncommon or unique. Because always when I am having this profound experience let's say of some sort of uh, epiphany or or a very unique experience according to me uh of um you know this deep uh, uneasiness i mean it's just so funny as unique as it sounds and i write about it uh just as a treatment or therapy or you know this is what i like to do and i accidentally happen to share it and that is those experiences which every person nearly every person is like oh yeah i have this version of experience yeah, oh sure. i have this version of experience and and this tells me how much of certain you know narratives of our uh, identity of our um egoistic uh, thinking or, or or certain specs of our psyche uh, are are much more complicated and 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 can actually you know completely disconnect you because well this is it was f the resistance experience is very funny because this is one step this is the first step which allows you to get over this modern story of an individual only i'm not saying individual does not have a value i've grown up in a very collectivist society and i understand there are huge negative impacts of anything if you're the if you're relying only on something like that but the 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 funny part was that because of some of the training and because of some of these uh plants uh, the training of paying attention to these experiences helped uh, me a little bit. But I mean, when the when the resistance come, when the uneasy, well, I call it uh, difficult emotions, let's say, you know, uh, when the difficult emotion comes, which tells me that, oh, your identity, whichever story you have told you is unfortunately not, it's not going to sustain now that it's over. You have to let go of your dead parts. I resist like a motherfucker. It's like, seriously, like whatever, like just whatever you want to call it. But uh, the, the, the problem is that um, we might think when it is happening that it's some sort of weakness. It's, it's like this is the state 
which we should avoid. But it's funny that that kind of a heartbreak when you feel if you are connected more more of the time and if you are paying attention to that part and not running away and not putting the distance as you just mentioned between your emotions and your uh, your uh, sense of presence uh, you start to laugh sometimes at what kind of a tricks you're trying to pull on yourself to actually fix it uh, and and that's the problem like what are you trying to fix are you trying to fix uh the humanness of yourself or are you trying to fix that the only thing you can have is the good experiences or whatever our hierarchy of experiences are so the reason why i mention all of it is that what it happens to actually most of us generally in different ways so this is the story which i tell and whatever the story everyone else would have of resistance of telling story of you know trying to hide away from it it's uh, it's that's why everyone resists sometimes in those uh, kind of uh, scenarios and hopefully if we are uh, using these tools which allow you to look at these experiences more smoothly i think the the uh, prospect of um being uh, in a harmony and being in uh, uh, chaotic experiences becomes much more um understandable in in our society and and that that could help i mean so much that that yeah i don't know where the limit is yeah i think um when we're talking about uh, you know breaking down those 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 defenses and those barriers that you have that's why people can have such challenging experiences on on psychedelics and if you and, and the stronger those barriers are the stronger those defense mechanisms are that you have that's the more scary that it can be and this is when we talk about ego dissolution that's a you know you put it bluntly almost your your sense of self the story that you've that you've produced in order to protect yourself and so that's why especially when you you know when you first start taking psychedelic substances at, at high doses many people report that they can be very scary because whoever you think you are is taken away from you and then you're just left with this objective reality without your story that you've told you to protect yourself i think as well it was, it was interesting that you were saying whenever you have these these moments of epiphany which sounds like it happens to you quite a lot Raza, but um but whenever you have those moments of epiphany you and when you speak to someone else about it it's normally met with this kind of oh yeah no i've i've experienced that too which is which is curious isn't it i think that we live in a society that's becoming more and more fragmented and separate and individual due to you know technology and and we you know there are communities still exist but we're moving away from from that way of from that way of um that way of living and i think we need to to begin to question what, what is the what price are we going to pay for that if we're going through all of these kinds of experiences without talking to you know our our friends our family our community about them then that leaves you really isolated and you think about facebook where it's it seems almost impossible to you know from what i've seen on my facebook feed post anything other than 
pictures of people having an amazing time which creates this impression that life everywhere apart from you know in your own home is this you know <laughs> incredible experience where nothing ever goes wrong and and it's you know it's just, it's just not true there's a there's a whole spectrum of human emotion which is of vital importance happiness and sadness you know misery and ecstasy and you can't you can't begin to deny that it's unhealthy and if you and if you begin to think that you should be aiming for this unrealistic life that will that will never exist in, and that's the the feedback that you get, then uh, yeah, then we're really in trouble. Brilliant, Simon. Thanks a lot for doing it. Is there any topic because I can't top this? Uh, is there any topic we wanna expand on? I don't think so, but I mean, I just want to say that your cooking this evening was incredible. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, sitting here Thanks. in, in Raz's living room. Oh, uh, perfect. Yeah. No, no, you're invited anytime. You're welcome. I you're will right. take you up on that. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you, Simon. Okay. Bye, people. <laughs>